Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Never Broken Podcast with yours truly, the Queasy Man. Thank you for tuning in and listening to another episode each week as the podcast uh, continues to grow. Um, you know, before I go in and I, I start today's show, um, I just want to say a couple of things. Um, you know, when I sat down in my office last week at this time to, to record, was a different kind of show that I was doing and and it hit really close to home and I dedicated last week's show to a person that was more than a friend to me and we might not have had the same blood pumping through our body but we were blood brothers and one of the things that I wanted to do I wanted to do two things I wanted to share the memories of me and Zach and I together, being ourselves, how I knew him, and how I remember him. And also, I wanted to make sure that his legacy lived on. <clears throat> you know, it, it's never easy when when we lose somebody that we love. It, it never, it's never easy. It's not an easy thing to deal with. And we all have our own ways of healing, dealing, coping, whatever you want to use. And how I remember him, how I am able to live knowing that he is okay, that he's not in pain, that he's smiling down, is is tell the stories that bring a smile, not just to my face, but also with other people that were there that were, were involved in and things like that. You know, I got a lot of messages sent to me since I did this, since I started this show. Um, I, I have. Now, I got a message, um, you know, last week. And um, it was from Zach's mother. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, some of you guys, a lot of you guys know who she is. But, you know, uh, you know if you don't, I'm going to keep her name. But it's, it's Zachary's mother. And um, <laughs> she sent me a message, and the message made me tear up. And you know, the message was that she listened to that that show from driving somewhere to home, and it made her cry. But it also made her think of Zach and and myself, and and it brought a smile to her face. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to take people that knew him. Back in time. And I wanted people that knew him that shared memories with him. Maybe I wasn't there. I I mean, you know, that very possible. And I wanted them to think of the times that they had also spent with him. And bring a smile to their face on on a sad day. You know, and you would hear me talk more about that later on on the show and And that is something that that I will do, you know, from time to time. But when we lose somebody the the first, you know, couple weeks, you know, you have people that are there. They they, they take off work and they're there. But after a week, you know, and that's two weeks and people have to start going back to work. And people have to start going back to what I call their normal routine, their everyday routine. 
when you're the person, the mother, the father, the the wife, husband, whatever, son, daughter, when you're that immediate family, and people go back to living their lives, which is has to happen. And the tough thing is you have to live your life and it might be without a child or a husband, a wife. <clears throat> I think that one of the worst things that can ever happen to anybody is they, they lose a child. And I know what that's like because I've, I've been there. Now, I didn't have 16 years with my daughter. And, and this isn't trying to be a pity me. It's not, but I'm just, you know, give an example. I think when you have memories with them and, and you grow, you know, you raise your child from a baby only weighing a couple pounds to they're 15 and 16 years old and they're getting into this and, and, and getting into that. I think that that's, that's when it becomes hard. Harder. So... I wanted to give a plug to everybody that listened to the show, whether you sent me a message or not. You you don't know what that means to me. When I go on Anchor, who you know who I do my podcast through, and I'm able to see the plays, and and I'm telling you, it it made my heart happy that I that I I was able to share stories about a great person, a great friend, a great athlete. I was able to share those memories. I was able to share. He and I's relationship. And that wasn't the only things that we'd ever did. It was just a couple different different things. Um, you don't know how much that meant to me. And, and I hope that you found somewhat of peace and comfort and it, it brought a smile to you. <clears throat> With that being said, we're, we're going to move on. And today's show is going to be about extreme winning. You know, over the past couple months... Um, I've become obsessed with this book. I've become obsessed with that word, an extreme winner. And some people look, you might look at and have that confused look, well, what's an extreme winner? You know, and the definition is, and this is Google's definition, and I will give you mine. Google's definition is one that wins, such as one that is successful, especially through prize-worthy ability and hard work. A victor, especially in games and sports, one that wins admiration. You know, the examples of extreme winners are Nick Saban, Michael Jordan, <coughs> Donald Trump, Jeff Bezos, you know, uh, Mark, Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks. You know, there's... Winners, and then there's the extreme winners, and and those are some. Now, you might say, well, a Hollywood actor is an extreme winner. No, not necessarily. They're a winner, but are they an extreme winner? And an extreme winner finds a way to win when the cards are stacked against them. You know, for example, we talk about Jordan, and we talk about Saban. Kobe Bryant was an extreme winner. Shaquille O'Neal. So we'll talk about Nick Saban first comes to mind because Nick Saban has been, he's lost football games at LSU and the Miami Dolphins and in Alabama. He has lost. But 
when they lose, when extreme winners lose, it's rare. It doesn't happen every day. When you have a team that is mediocre, or we, as we call 500, that is a winning record. So if you, you know, finish at 5-5, five and five, you are 5-500. Five, That's your, you know, your winning percent average. That's mediocre. So we've won, you've won, but you've also lost and, and things like that. But extreme winners go years without losing. You know, I just watched a college football game a few nights ago where Nick Saban lost. And he lost to Texas A&M, who was coached by Jimbo Fisher. Now, Jimbo Fisher was an assistant for Nick Saban. And I'm going to pull this up on my computer. And Jimbo Fisher was the first assistant coach to beat Nick Saban. The first assistant. And, you know, I read it a little bit. The story's been updated. Saban has achieved about everything there is to achieve as a college football coach. Seven national championships. Ten conference championships. One MAC, nine SEC, has an .884 career winning percentage. Twelve-time National Coach of the Year honors, and a host of player-related trivia that would make the entire college football fame, football Hall of Fame envious. But one stat that particularly comes up more often than perhaps anything else that Saban has accomplished is his record against. His former assistant coaches. So it records that spans 12 seasons has made his assistants victim of nine former assistants who went on to become head coaches at separate 10 teams. And Saban has beaten every single one of them but one. To be sure, it's not exactly a secret to how Saban achieved defeat. Just ask Ole Miss and Alabama offensive coordinator Lane Kiffin who lost to Saban twice since leaving Tuscaloosa. He's undefeated. Saban is undefeated versus almost everybody. I mean, and that, that's what, you know, Lane Kiffin said before their 2021 game in Alabama. And, and, and Kiffin quoted this. He was quoted, and, and I like this. And there's a reason he's the best in the history of college football, even when, even when people know how his place works. He's still undefeated, which is amazing. You know, okay, Mark D'Antonio, he was the defensive back, and he's now the head coach at, was the head coach at Michigan State. You know, Saban coached there. Jimbo Fisher was the offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks at LSU from 2004. You have Derek Dooley, he was a tight end coach. Will Muschamp, Kirby Smart, Jeremy Pruitt, Jim McElwin. Billy Naper and Lane Kiffin. So, D'Antonio 0-2. Derek Dooley's 0-3. Will Muschamp 0-3. Kirby Smarts 0-3. Jeremy Pruitt 0-3. Jim McElwain 0-3. Billy Naper 0-1. Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss 0-2. 
So before that, it was 2, 3, 6, 9, 12, 15, 18, 22, 24. He's 24 now. Till now. He's 24 and 1. But now, I do a show about football. And this isn't, I don't want you folks to get confused because it's not. But you have the mentor, the teacher, that teaches these guys that they went on and they become assistant coaches. They went on and become successful assistant coaches. But they were 20, they couldn't do it in 24 tries. And granted, a couple of few days ago, you know, Florida State, I mean, not Florida State, Texas A&M did it. They, they did it. They beat Alabama. That's an extreme winner. An extreme winner is somebody that, like I said, when they lose, it's very rare. And you can be an extreme winner in sports. You can be an extreme winner in business. You can be an extreme winner in those things. So you take an extreme winner as Donald Trump, who is a business owner, okay, and grew million-dollar businesses into a billion-dollar entity. And then he goes and he runs for president of the United States uh, the first time, and he is the first non-politician to, to ever win the election. Now, granted, we're not going to get into the political aspect of that. Granted, he lost in the re-election. <laughs> I guess we can say that that's what it was. But anyway, if you look back at Trump's record, his history, he's an extreme winner. But how do you get there? Are you going to become an extreme winner overnight? Absolutely not. Do you even want to become an extreme winner? Or are you just okay with being average? Are you okay with being a winner, but you don't want to be an extreme winner? What I'm saying is, is maybe you have business deals and, and you know maybe you've got to get Two a month. So maybe you say, you know what? I'm going to get three a month. That's my goal. We're going up, going above a little bit, but that, that's my goal. But maybe one month you have three, two months you have three in a row, then you're at two, then you're at three. You know, and it's kind of back, kind of forth. But to be an extreme winner, you should want to double that. Oh, we got to have, you know, three. You know, he's doing three. I want to do six. I want to do six, seven, or eight. So maybe I did six months this now. I want to go back and I want to do seven or I want to do eight and keep going. I've listened to coaches back to Saban that, yeah, they'll win a national title and they will lift that clear trophy up and they'll kiss it. They'll pass it around. They'll celebrate. But you know what? That Monday, the following Monday, he's back in his office getting ready for the following season, moving depth charts around, things like that. It's not fun. It's a business. It's not fun unless you're winning national championships. The man has said that on air, I don't know how many times. But who plays to lose? Whether you're in business or whatnot, who plays to lose? I know I'm in business and I don't play to lose. Extreme winners are not content with being second. That's equivalent to being first loser. Anybody can live life when things are going well. The real test comes when adversity strikes back and setbacks nail you, when that happens, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? You know, it's as simple as waking up on a Monday morning, you look at yourself in the mirror 
and, and you tell yourself, I can and I will. And you get in your car and you're driving to work and maybe you've got a meeting with two new clients or you're proposing a business deal with them. Maybe you're pouring concrete on the bridge and your best two guys call off. They, they, they can't show. Now, that's a little bit of adversity. That's a little bit of outside adversity that you can't really control. But what you do from there is crucial. You can hang up the phone and say, son of a bitch, this day's fucked. Pardon my language, this is an adult show this one. It's fucked. And I'm not going to work. I'm turning around and going back home. I'm telling them I'm sick today. You're this, you're that. Then you go to work. You don't go back home, but you go to work. Somebody walks up to you and, oh, man, hey, how you doing today, dude? You know, this and that. They're, they're, they're smiling. They're clapping. Yeah. And, and or you, you look at them and say, well, I was doing good until about a couple fucking minutes ago. And then this fucking asshole called off work. And nobody ever wants to do anything. And this is bullshit. And I just hate it. And I'm, I'm, I'm sick of this place. I'm about to find me a new job. We all know those people, right? I just described probably 50 to 60% of the workforce in the United States. I just described to you the difference. So now here's a different thought. Now granted, a lot easier said than done. Not going to take that away. But you hang up the phone. You look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what? Yeah, it's a little bit of adversity, but guess what? You know what? We're going to make it happen. We're going to make it fucking happen. No matter what, we are going to make this happen today. You know what? Maybe it was his idea for the pitch and he had the information, but I have the information. And guess what? The meeting's not till 2 o'clock. I'm going to the office and I'm going to study that business plan. I'm going to get to know it. I'm going to you know, ask questions with other people on the team. And we're going to come up with the game plan and we're going to sell it. We're going to knock it out of the park. Or maybe you got to reschedule it and say, hey, something came up. Could you guys, you know, maybe, but maybe you don't have the option. Sorry, you don't have the option to reschedule it because it's been rescheduled two times already. And you know, if you reschedule it the third time, you're not going to get the deal. They ain't coming back. And they've flown in to see you. You didn't fly in to see them. They flew in to see you, to see your product. So, so what do you do then? It's all about our mindset. Looking in the mirror and saying, I'm going to knock it out of the park. We're going to do this today. We're going to have a meeting. I'm going to get everybody on board. And then you have a meeting with people and you're, you know, and maybe one guy speaks up. Yeah, but you know, he's the best guy that we have and nobody can do it like him and we're, we're fucked. You know, that's what he says. We're fucked. We're, we're, we're doomed. We're this, we're that. That's negativity. That's not an extreme winner. So why allow to have mediocre people on your team? Maybe you say to him, you know what? Yeah, maybe he is our best talker. He is our best salesman. You're right. He is. Numbers don't lie. But you know what? Him, he missed today. The team's going to rally. That's what a team does. When somebody goes down, we rally. Leaders get their team ready to go no matter what circumstance. No matter what circumstance. And find a way to win. That's what an extreme winner is. 
I give you the, you know, I gave you the analogy of Saban, and I will go back to him. I turned the football game on, and you know, I saw the highlights was going on, and and my buddies was texting me, Alabama's down, Alabama's down, and I texted my buddy back, and I said, yeah, they may be down, but they have Nick Saban. Always find a, they always find a way to win. Don't get too excited. So my game ends that I'm watching. I turn, I go back to the guy. Boom. There's Alabama and I'm playing. I turn the game on and as soon as I turn the game on, this is no BS. Alabama had just scored and was getting ready to kick the extra point to take the lead. So I said to myself, game over. And now granted, I'm not playing on either team, but from the outside perspective, I know the monster that Saban is. I know the winner that he is. The winner. He's an extreme winner that finds a way to win because he demands excellence out of his team. So they lost. Okay? They, they, Alabama ended up losing. Big celebration at AM. Very big celebration. Should have a lot to be happy. You just upset the number one team in the nation. But that's how you know this is an extreme winner because they call it upset. An upset is when somebody beats somebody or wins when they're not supposed to. That's an upset. Now, am I saying talking crap about A&M's coach? I'm a football fan, so it's Jimbo Fisher. Am I talking crap and saying Jimbo's not an extreme winner? No, he's not an extreme winner yet. Because look at resumes. LeBron James is not an extreme winner. Michael Jordan is. Look at the rings. And Jordan did it with different teammates, different times, different scenarios. When you're the Utah Jazz and you're John Stockton and Carl Malone, they despised Michael Jordan. It wasn't that they despised him because he was a bad person. They despised him because every time they tried to win a championship, they were in the way. They were in the way. He was in the way. Because he is an extreme winner. The Bulls were extreme winners because of the mindset that they have. You don't become an extreme winner by sitting on the couch and and saying, you know, fuck it. I'm yeah, that's that, that's that corporate level shit. I don't want nothing nothing to do with it. You don't become an extreme winner by doing that. You don't become the extreme winner by working just your eight hours and going home. That's not an extreme winner that has that mindset. When you start a job, we've all met that person that says, listen, just come in here, work your hours, and go to fuck home. Don't work over, you know, work a little overtime, but don't give them too much. Don't work too hard because then they're going to want it all the time. We've all met that cancer, that negative, and, and I say it a cancer because a cancer drains energy from people and teams, businesses. They have a cancer on them, and you have to cut it out. I hate to be so blunt. I hate to use that analogy, but that's the truth. You got somebody on your team that doesn't want to fucking be first place. Doesn't want to be, you know what? We've got six months to do this job and your boss comes in and and, and he's a motivator and you're on that team and the boss says, yeah, they're giving us six months to do it, but let's get it done in five. Let's finish it a month early. And here's how we can do it. Now, granted, if you've got, you know, maybe it's a 10-man crew. 
Okay, just you know, throwing numbers out there. And you've got eight guys that are like, yeah, let's do it. Because then if we get it done in a month, we're going to get a bonus here. We'll be able to do this, do that, and say we finished in a month. But say you have seven seven guys that are like, yeah, let's do it. But you've got three guys that are, fuck that. I ain't giving them yeah, this and that. Man. It'll get done when it gets done. I'm telling you, as a leader, cut those people out. And I know it's hard right now because of the labor shortage in America. But I'm telling you, cut those people out. To be on your team, whether in life, business, whatever it is, you will have negative people. And friends are just like elevators. They take you up or they take you down. And in in your life, if you and your, your family, you know, you and your wife say, we're living in this kind of house now. We're driving these kind of cars. These are the material things. But hey, we want to invest in some real estate properties. We would like to become landlords and own, you know, a couple rental properties and, and things like that. That's what we would like to do. And we would like to create generational wealth because if something happens to us, we could give the rentals to the children. And then if as long as they kept them, they could give them to the grandchildren. And it just continues to go on and on and on. And you build generational wealth. That's extreme fucking winning. Well, if you got that friend that says, you guys are dumb, you guys shouldn't be doing this, you're taking a risk. Do extreme winners take risk? Please answer. Yes, they do. But they're calculated risk. Okay? They're calculated risk. Risk. And what I mean by that, sorry about that. What I, what I mean by that is... Going after something, breaking it down, looking at the numbers, whether it's, say it's financial, say it's about buying um, a rental property. You know, what we're just talking about, we'll go back to it. And you're looking at your incomes and, you know, you go to the bank and they give you the price. This is what your mortgage would be and, and things like that. And you're like, you know what? We, we could afford that. We could do it because, you know what? That's only 10% of what we got in the bank. So you know you can afford it. That's a calculated risk. That's a calculated investment. But now, if you approach it, and you can hardly pay your mortgage, dude, whatever the situation is, you know, maybe your wife lost her job, and or whatever, you know, let, let's say that there's an actual reason. So, and you can barely pay your mortgage... And now you get the price and it's like, you know, we can hardly pay ours. Is it, is that, you know, is that, it, you're, you're, you're right. It's a risk to go and do that, get that house, whatever. But that's not a calculated risk. Because you know the numbers, you know the situation. Calculated risk is like I said, when it's 10, you have 10% of that in the bank. You know, and that's only 10% of what you have in the bank. So then that becomes a calculated risk and then you take that and you you go and you continue to win. But you've got to lose to become an extreme winner. I want to be an extreme winner. I want to win every single day, no matter the odds, no matter the situation. I want to win every single day. It is a want. It is a need and it is a desire for me. There are some people out there, they don't want to win every day. 
They're happy with winning maybe two days out of the fucking week. And that's the truth. And we need people like that. But the leaders, the people that really have an impact on people's lives, is they take calculated risks to become extreme winners, to do, have leadership that is life-changing leadership. Life-changing. Giving folks opportunities that are life-changing in a positive manner. You know, I just set a list of athletes and, and, and I set a couple businessmen that are extreme winners. But my question is, is how bad do you want it? Tomorrow, you know, when you wake up tomorrow morning and it's Monday, how are you approaching the day? You could tell your friends, you could tell your wife on Saturday and Sunday that you want to be an extreme winner. But every fucking Monday, you go into work late because you, you stay up late and you get drunk on Sunday or you watch football too late and you oversleep. So every, every Monday, you're going into the office late. That's not being an extreme winner. That's talking about it, not being about it. I want to be an extreme winner. The reason I want to be an extreme winner is to show people, not just to show people, but show myself I can win and I can win consistently. Whether it's, like I said, in business, life, whatever it is, we need extreme winners. And the thing about this is these extreme winners that we have now, okay, is there a generation coming up behind them? I mean, there, there's individuals out there that have wealth. They have this, they have that, but, but what, what is my generation doing? Okay, this goes out to anybody that's from 25 right now to fucking, you know, 35. You know, what, what, you know, you know what I'm saying? What is our generation doing to become extreme winners? Because if you look at the facts now, everybody wants an extreme handout, an extreme favor. And you, you talk about these people. You know, Trump was a businessman, yet his father had wealth. He had money. But he gave his son money alone and said, you will pay this back. And if you fail, because you don't try, I'll never help you again. And there's there, there, Michael Jordan, you, you know, Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe, Kobe Bryant. You know, Kobe Bryant come from the streets of Philadelphia, man. He didn't grow up a rich kid. Did not grow up a rich kid. He wanted to have that generational wealth for his family, for his kids, his grandkids, and their kids. He wanted his name, his legacy, and his wealth to live on. He wanted to take care of his family for many generations to come. Now, granted, Kobe Bryant is done and left this world, and it's sad. But once Kobe Bryant impacted people, he touched people. But if you look at, at Kobe and, and the videos that I look at and the things that I read was his tenacity and his winning. I watched a video the other day and I forget what year it was in the finals. He was, you know, he was with the Lakers, obviously. And they were up 2-0 in the finals. And I can't remember who they were playing. It was, it was like I said, it was a video. And, and he had this game face look on. And the reporter asked him, hey, Kobe, why aren't you smiling? You're, you're up 2 nothing." And he looked at the guy and said, the job's not done. The job is not done. We're up 2 nothing. That don't mean shit. They could come back and win two in a row. And we're tied at two apiece. So then what do you do? And people that are, are trying to be extreme winners, 
sometimes fail because they'll have a sale go right or they'll have a job finish ahead of schedule and they'll get promoted and they think, well, hey, I'm promoted now or I sold that, I'm there when you're not. And then they take their foot off the gas pedal and next thing you know, two, three months later, they're demoted or they're fired. Not even with the company. So you have to think of those things. You know, I talk about winning and, and a lot of people look at me as I'm, I'm, and I want, I embrace people to look at me as I'm crazy and nuts because I am different and I want to be different and I'm very comfortable with being different and not different on a, on a sexuality base, different in the mind of winning and being successful as I'm willing to do whatever it takes. If you get up at six, I'm going to get up at five. I want to win. I want to be successful. I want to create that generational wealth. And I want to punch every day in the face as hard as I can. And I know it. there's days it's going to swing before I do. I mean, hell, it might swing before my feet even touch the floor and just hit me in my face and buckle my knees. It will and it can, can and it will happen. But what do you do to respond is the question. What do you do to respond is the question. I'm not Tony Robbins. Not every day is a good day. I'm not trying to sell you on that. That if you do this, you're going to be successful the next day. The thing is, the secret to success and why people give up is because it takes years. It takes hard fucking work. No secret. There's no cheat code. It takes hard work and being able to execute. And execute at crucial times. I refer back to sports as I do in my business career, because sports and business go hand in hand. If you cannot execute in business and win, that means your company's not making money. And if you are in management of the company, your job is to make the company money. And therefore, if you do not produce results for the company in a positive light, they will find somebody else to do it. When you get that cushy salary job, just know that that salary comes with a cost and it comes with expectations. And you have to deliver every day, every single day. I want to work in that environment. I embrace that environment as you should to where you've got to perform every single day. There are no off days. You go whether you're sick, whether you're this, whether you're that. But that type of person doesn't exist anymore. Because everybody wants it. Everybody wants to do it. Everybody wants to be that millionaire or built, you know, on the yacht. And they're chilling and they're drinking margaritas or bourbon sours or whatever your drink is. And you're laying there on a Saturday afternoon, not a, not a fuck to be given. But you have a billionaire pull up. And his boat's three times. Now granted, am I trying to tell a story about a bigger boat? No. But you have a billionaire pull up. And his boat's three times as big as yours. But he has won and has the opportunity that his name, his money, his investments will live on for several generations to come. His great-great-grandkids will have opportunities that he provided for them. That's the difference between a billionaire mindset and a millionaire mindset and I get it in the world we live because everybody not everybody but I know a lot of people that and and I've never done it so I can't tell you about it but I've seen people 
And if when I do do it, that's how I speak, when I do do it. Not if, no, when I do do it. When I make a million, I want to make sure that I don't take my foot off the pedal. Because I'm going to want 10 million. And then I'm going to want 50. And then I want 100. And then I want to become a billionaire. That's how extreme winners are. Oh, we won a national championship today. We sold 10 products this month. And that's the record. You know what? We need to get back to the office. We need to reach out to these clients or new clients because next month we want to sell 15. And it's by doubling the odds, raising the stakes, raising the drive, raising the one. You know, I listened to a, a, a podcast, um, Patrick David Bent, a good bit. And, and he has great guests on. Someday I'm going to interview these guests. My show someday will be having these guests on. But he was talking to Joe Rogan. And he was on Rogan's podcast. And it come up. What's the difference between the CEO and the COO? Now, a lot of people are going to say, well, the chief... Chief executive officer runs the whole show. The COO reports to him and this and that. No, the CEO is the number one guy. Nothing against any COO, but the COO is the number three guy or the number two. We talk about extreme winning. We talk about if you're not first and you're second, you're the first loser. That is the difference. The CEO has a different mindset than the COO. And maybe you top out as a COO. Is that the worst thing that's ever happened to man? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's a lot to be proud of, a lot to be thankful for. Who knows, I might top out as the COO. I might get to, to, to be the director and that's where I might tap out. Maybe that may, and maybe that's true. Maybe I earn 800000 and never make it to a million. Maybe that's how it goes. But I will tell you one thing. It won't be because of fucking hard work and want and desire. And if you know, any CEO out there, I respect you. Maybe you're going to retire as a CEO. That's pretty damn good. Pretty damn good. A lot to be proud about. But I want to be the CEO. I want to be the extreme winner. I want to be the guy that wins every day. And when he loses, it is an upset because it don't happen. And sometimes you lose because you learn how to disrespect winning. When you don't respect winning, you lose. Remember that. When you don't respect winning, you lose. I'm reading this book, Extreme Winning by Pat Williams. And this is, and I'm not stealing any. I'm not plagiarizing. I'm not doing anything. But this is how I want to be. I want to be an extreme winner. I want to start an extreme winner's club, an extreme winner's summit. I want people to come to me in five, ten years from now and be like, how'd you do it? And I'm going to tell you it was simple. I laced up my boots every single day and I went at it. No matter what, sick, hungry, tired, exhausted, all those adjectives, I went at it and I executed. Because here's the thing, you can work hard and not execute. And that's when it's hard. That's when it's tough. Especially when a person works hard, but they don't know how to execute. That's when you have to talk to the person 
And that's when you have to coach the person up. But eventually, if they can't do it, they can't execute it, you got to get them off the team. And I know that that sounds hard, but that's business. Because if I don't fucking execute in my job, I won't be there. It's simple. It's clear, cut, and dry. It's as simple as two plus two is four. Be around extreme executors. To become an extreme winner, you got to be an extreme executor. You got to know how to execute. You got to know how to perform. Perfection. It's not just talking. You got to live it. I'd rather I stay at home more on the weekends researching materials, listening to audio books than I do go out. Because what going out and getting fucking drunk with my friends is going to do for my career? What is that doing? That's the difference why some people fail instead of succeed. I, I, you know... You don't, you know, I, I listened to some, you didn't see coat, you know, and I know that, you know, Jordan went out and he liked to smoke his cigars and he liked to gamble and things like that, but he was obsessed. Now, granted though, he was different, but most extreme winners aren't like that. You know, Saban will take his wife out and, and children and grandchildren out to dinner and stuff, but Nick Saban, hey, and granted, yeah, I understand it's his age, but he could retire and be sitting back on a mad millions living on a beach, doing sipping margaritas, but you don't see Nick Saban doing that. You don't see uh, Elon Musk doing that. You know, Jeff Bezos. You know, you don't, you don't see him doing that. Extreme winners know how to win, but they're different. They do things differently. Years ago... When I was in high school, it was about going out, getting drunk, and partying, having a good time. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have friends and this and that, but if your friends ain't helping you elevate your game, then then what are you doing? How I look at life anymore is if we're going to associate, but you're not doing anything to help me perform, and I can't learn anything from you, or I can't teach you how to perform and things like that, and you you don't care, you're okay with just getting by and being mediocre, I can't hang out with you. Because I'm built different. It, it's too big of a conflict for me, just being honest. But I hope today that, that you, you learned what an extreme winner is in the description. And, and I hope you go and punch Monday right in the fucking face and knock it out of the park. You go to sleep Tuesday, Monday night and you wake back up Tuesday and you do the same thing repetitively every single day. Get your streak going. Win consistently to even be considered a winner. And then keep winning for a couple years. Steady. That's how we become extreme winners. Winning big stakes, big calculated risk. That's how you do it. It's no secret. Lace up the shoes or the boots. Wake up. Be early is to be on time. To be on time is to be late. To be late, it is to be lost. And get after it every day. But if you're not getting after it every day and you're not giving your best performance, then why are you even there? What are you doing? Are you you're you're, you're happy with being a guy that you have you have a family, you have kids, you're just fucking mediocre, you're just doing what you got to do to get by? Is that what you want your kids to think of you? Is that the legacy that you that you want to live? I, I'm sorry, I just couldn't stand. My kids know, well, yeah, your dad wasn't the best. He wasn't the best, but he sure as fuck was not the hardest worker. He was lazy, and he did more shit to get out of it. I couldn't stand that. I couldn't be okay with that. 
I couldn't be okay with a guy going in and working eight hours and, and leaving and being done, not wanting to move up. Okay, we're at. I that's not me. I can't. I I can't be satisfied with that. But my question is, is how can you be? Because it's easy. That's why. Because it's easy. It's easy. It's easy to be average. Easy. It's easy to be mediocre. It's easy. It doesn't require any hard work. It's easy. I don't want it easy. Nothing in my life has been easy. Granted, my mom and dad weren't involved in my life. My grandparents raised me. I'm not trying to pull no black you know, black card. I went to high school at Tusky Mountain. Was one of maybe three black kids to ever go to that school. Okay? Definitely experienced racism. Definitely heard the N-word. Definitely heard shit as I didn't act black. All that shit. All that noise. Definitely wasn't, you know, didn't. My grandma and I, you know, she lived on a fixed income. So it wasn't like fucking I was a spoiled brat. But those lessons that she taught me in the life that I lived, it made me hungry because I wanted more. I wanted what others had. It's very hard, and I worry about this for my children, and that's why I am the way I am on my children. I don't know if my kids are going to be as hard as me because of the life that they live compared to the life that I lived. It's different. Very different. Think about that. Making six figures a year, when you when you grew up, you were raised with somebody that didn't even fucking make $100,000 every 10 years. Okay, you have a different attitude, a different perspective on life than when you're raised by somebody that makes a hundred, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand, million, billion, whatever. You have a different perspective. Boxers say it all the time. It's very hard to wake up and go run when you're sleeping in silk pajamas, and I and I believe that. So I got to make my kids hard. I've got to make them hard and want it, and teach them the lessons in life because it ain't free. It's just who I am. It's who I want to be. So as I leave you, I want to thank you all again for for tuning in. It's never a dull moment here. We're going to have some guests on. Just I've been kind of busy with work, not making excuses, focusing on the grind, focusing on the vision. But uh, I do love talking to you folks and giving you inspirational messages and and having guests come on and, and doing some things like that. So continue to keep listening to my show. Continue to keep liking it, subscribing it, and and wanting to listen. I hope that I've helped you, and I hope I inspired you to go punch the weak right in the fucking face. I'm over and out. Queasy, man. Much love.